divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw, and today is December the 26th, ah, 2006. Let's see, I have a, a, uh, what is it, a step-niece, step-grand-niece, I guess, who is 21 today, God bless her. The trouble with the world, <laughs> is it? We have so many dates to remember, I hope you got through Christmas. I had a nice Christmas. I got exactly what I deserved, almost precisely exactly. Uh, the only plus was a little garnet, garnet necklace here that I wasn't expecting, but it's a wonderful thing how Christmas reveals us to ourselves. I have wonderful presents in the mail, and I have notes here at KPFA. I thank you for all your kind wishes from the holidays. Yes, um... I was thinking about it, and I think the thing that makes me feel like uh, next year is worth waiting for is the um, the uh, TV series Rome. Rome is returning to HBO television, so I'm a happy old lady. Uh, <laughs> there's an ad. I cut out one of the ads in the New Yorker. It's a close-up of the face of Cleopatra in the series Rome, and scrawled across it is the uh, phrase, Cleopatra is a fiend. There was only one hour of Cleopatra in the first 12 hours of the series uh, last year, but she was a knockout then, and I'm sure she will proceed, yes, once she's she's done with uh, Julius Caesar in the first, first season. Now the second season will be Mark Antony, and um, I, I can't wait. I'm breathless. Uh, I'm a hopeless addict. Um, in any case, I looked through my mail here today and I found a book that I want to study carefully and see if I can get the author in here to talk to us, but I want to just tell you about it. In case you're in the bookstores, you know, returning things. Uh, it's a book called Intimate Politics by Bettina Apthecker. Uh, yum, yum book. Uh, Definitely the personal is political, folks. Intimate politics. How I grew up read, fought for free speech, and became a feminist rebel by Bettina Apthecker. Now, Barbara Ehrenreich says here on the cover, you can read intimate politics as part of the history of American radicalism and its emergence from the patriarchal, authoritarian, old left to the more liberatory and feminist politics of the 70s, or you can read it as the painfully honest, often shocking story of one woman's coming of age, from confusion and depression to self-confidence and peace. Either way, you'll be riveted. And of course, I have scrawled all over it, all my own little phrases and notes. Uh, and a note here, Virginia Woolf told us that fascism begins in the home, in the private home. She had a masterpiece called Three Guineas. It was rejected by most of her f 
friends, even the women, who said, no, 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 you can't talk about um, oppression in the patriarchal household, in, in the domestic scene, in the same breath that you talk about Hitler. <laughs> Apparently she thought she could, yes. Uh, fascism begins in the nursery. It seems that Bettina Apthecker, uh suffered from sexual abuse, sexual violence, uh, uh, her father was not, uh, 100%. Yes, Herbert Apthecker. Uh, let's face it, uh, human beings are, are complicated creatures. Let's see. It says here that Bettina Apthecker breaks her 50 year silence to reveal a private life in the public eye, shattering secrets of a leading family of the left. Uh, let's see, indoctrination, activism, triumph over one's past, um, FBI harassment and persecution, Jewish heritage, lesbian identity. This is a courageous and uncompromising account of a key chapter in our nation's history, one that has not been told before. At the age of five, Bettina Aptheker carried petitions at political rallies, read the New York Times alongside her father. Her father was the historian and U.S. Communist Party leader, Herbert Aptheker. Uh, when she was eight, she watched her family's politics play out in countless living rooms across the country when her father testified on television at the McCarthy hearings. Uh, she was born into one of the most influential communist families in the USA, Bettina was taught at a young age to censor her phone conversations because of government wiretaps. By the age of 15, she was adept at evading the FBI. Okay. Strong social and political convictions, coupled with daring activism, won the Aptecos the loyalty of a diverse and prominent crowd. Family friends included W.E.B. Du Bois, Paul Robeson, Elizabeth Gurley Flynn, all of whom passed many lively evenings at the Apthecker home. Social gatherings of comrades were common. Okay, Bettina was exposed to passionate individuals and to spirited debates. Yet despite Bettina's submersion in this rich and unique environment, which included a rigorous home education by two cultured intellectuals and produced a child whose awareness was unrivaled among her peers, her childhood came at a price. In the midst of the social and political upheaval around her, Bettina lived with terrible secrets of her own. Secrets of sexual abuse, a frightening and lonely life, lived inside a turbulent, sometimes violent home. Apthecker activism was always directed at external forces, injustices like racism, capitalism, but it fell silent in the face of truly domestic crimes. Bettina grew up without an adequate emotional support system, without coping mechanisms for such violence. She struggled to maintain a growing public persona, while privately she unraveled. My goodness, deja vu all over again, folks. Tell us about it. <laughs> yes, always. Yes, we direct ourselves outward, but we refuse to look in the mirror and see what it is that we have done to ourselves and those we love. <laughs> anyway, um, this goes on to say, this blurb goes on to say that by the time she was 20, Bettina had become a leader in the free speech movement at the University of California, Berkeley. 
a leader of young communists on campus. She was a media darling, yes. There's an article calling her uh, a communist ingenue, the ingenue of the Communist Party. Okay. She was also in a sexually abusive relationship. She battled severe depression, weathered an illegal abortion in Mexico. That was before Roe versus Wade. Uh, as the turmoil of the 60s and 70s swirled about her, Bettina remained in the spotlight, playing key roles in the defense of childhood friend and a fellow red diaper baby, Angela Davis, during the Davis trial for charges of murder and conspiracy. Bettina also turned a spotlight on herself. She came to terms with her lesbian identity, gaining confidence in her own political position, eventually emerging as a prominent feminist scholar and activist in her own right. I was looking here in the book at the pictures. Uh, it's amazing. I think the main thing in her life is these glorious children, but uh, you'll have to get the book to read about her life as a mother. A gripping and beautifully rendered memoir, this book, Intimate Politics, is the story of a woman's struggle to still the demons of her personal world while becoming a controversial public figure herself. Yes, indeed, she even got to the point where she was, oh, doing self-mutilation, my God, what a what a century the 20th century was. Um, all of these women turning on themselves. Anyway, the book is a story of courage. Courage to speak one's truth despite consequences. Break the devastating silence of family secrets. What was it we said in the old days? Yes, we're as sick as our secrets. Just go ahead and blurt it out. Sometimes I found that to be successful. Other times I found that... <laughs> Certain parties never spoke to me again, simply turned turned away and rendered me invisible. Let's see, here is an interesting paragraph from Intimate Politics. Let me read it to you. Bettina Apthecker writes, I learned early on that what went on in private was not to be discussed outside our house. I was the keeper of family secrets. We were a very special family in my mother's vision of the world. As an only child, I was like a third adult in the family, an extension of my parents. I was rarely with kids my own age, except when I played baseball with the boys on our block. Secrets kept me isolated, especially from other children. Secrets instilled in me the belief that what went on at home had nothing to do with my parents' political beliefs, those of socialism, peace, social justice, racial equality, civil rights. Of course, I didn't see the contradiction between the way they lived and what they believed until much later when I realized that I had to live what I believed if I was going to overcome my past and thrive as an authentic person. Oh, it is so fascinating. It is almost, what is it? Uh, we call this the divided self. Uh, it maketh us to be crazy. <laughs> every one of us, everyone that I know, uh, has something of this in her past. Uh, I wonder sometimes what normal means. Uh, let's see. There's a dozen here. There's a dozen... Um, 
professors and important people telling us uh, why this is an important book. I was running over in my mind last night all of the people, <laughs> Daniel Ortega, right, all of the powerful males um, and many of them on the left who have got to, what is the word for it, uh, who have got to look into their own souls and try to figure out why they've acted the way they they uh, did. I was listening last night to some of the, um, what do we call those, uh, obituaries on James Brown, and I wondered why they called him <laughs> a dysfunctional male. I, I always thought that he was honest as the day is long, the father of soul, died on Christmas. Uh, let's see, James Brown, exactly my age. A beautiful, beautiful, beautiful man. I was thinking as I read um, Bettina Epthecker's book, back to the late 60s, I can remember playing James Brown, 60, when was it, 68, I can remember being in one of the worst, worst, one of the grimmest schools in Oakland, and the kids and I were having such a wonderful time. I was running around in a leotard. Let's see, that's f- almost, well, let's see, 40 years and, <laughs> and 50 pounds ago. We would play James Brown, and uh, what is that? Uh, we had the blackest beautiful movement, and we really, we really turned it on. Uh, he was... What is the word for that? Uh, not a green man. What is a thing that men give us that gives us courage? He was, uh, he was all libido. All, um, it's so hard to use, uh, the words that we use for sex and sensuality without making them sound negative. Uh, he was love itself and, uh, in spite of, um, the four marriages and all of the nonsense about drugs and womanizing, it seems to me that he was a lover of life in the most basic, most basic way. Uh, it's strange uh, what we call perversion and what we call um, true love or authenticity. Uh, James Brown, an authentic man. I remember, yes, uh, the shock on the faces of some of the folks who would come to my classes and see what my kids could do with James Brown. Never mind, never mind. Today, I had in mind to look back, once again, it's that week, the week between Christmas and New Year's. One look back and then drop everything and move forward, folks. Uh, I went back in my notes and I found all kinds of wonderful retro things. Uh, <laughs> and I was thinking of Bettina Apthecker. And I remember when she appeared on the scene, how I knew that she was one of the serious ones. And I felt that I was just one of the um, arty hangers-on. Uh, I used to hang out in Berkeley in a place called the Blind Lemon Bar. And my approach to the women's movement was ironic at best. I remember, yes, asking a number of men uh, whether they thought we had any future, you know, whether uh, the sexual revolution was going to come out okay, you know. I'm still asking them who won the sexual revolution. They told me that we didn't have a chance. Uh, 
<laughs> yes. Especially, yes, especially all of those terrible women, they, they said, who hated men. And I kept saying, listen, if women hated men, it would all be over by Friday. Our problem is that we're all madly in love with you. Uh, and they said, no, 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 the, the lesbian revolution would win. But anyway, let me read you a little piece from a, a book of my own. I had it, uh, it came out reprint this Christmas. It's called Telegraph Avenue Then. It is available at Amazon. Amazon and Regent Press both have copies of this book. Anyway, uh, yes, 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 yes. What is the date? Yes, this date goes back uh, exactly 1966. By 10 o'clock, I'm in a smoke-filled back room at the Blind Lemon. There is an old beard, a candle maker. He holds forth on the subject of the male spark, male fire, which ignites the clay or the earth matter, which is personified by woman. <laughs> yes, a footnote here was that we used to say that the women learn from the plants and the men learn from the animals, which is why women sit down and men stand up. Anyway. <laughs> This guy says that the life force is contained in the sperm, and it is this life spark which sets matter moving and gets the old earth off her ass, so to speak. I ask if this is the medieval theory of the homunculus or little man who is said to travel through the mother's body as if he were in an oven emerging, you know, somewhat as if he were a clone without taking any DNA from the female. Well, the old beard says, what the hell, he will buy me a beer anyway. You probably think I'm a male chauvinist prig, he opines. <laughs> Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn, I say, and drink the beer. The jukebox plays Joan Baez. Singing my anthem, my anthem. Love is just a four-letter word that was my anthem in 1966. A joint passes around the table. Another beard leans toward me, saying, Well, actually, the women's movement is very significant. Very significant. Bettina Apthecker, yes, she knew. Anyway... He says, did not Marx tell us that social progress can be measured by the position of the female sex? First bird makes an obscene remark. Hmm. I tell them, suppose I'm Ms. Marx, and suppose I say I don't want social position. I want to be an artist. They tell me to be serious. The truth is, I tell them, you men pay too high a price for your masculinity. As for me, I tell them, I just want you to know that I did not attend the Hooker's Masquerade Ball in San Francisco last Halloween. I did not win the prize for the costume in the worst taste. And furthermore, for your information, I was not even invited and it hasn't destroyed my confidence in myself as a woman. The men grimace, exchange glances. They assume I'm too drunk to talk sense. They ignore me. 
The women move in, circle me. Kirsten suggests I see a psychiatrist. Yes, the therapy answer. Maria tells me to give way to joy, to open my heart, follow your bliss, you know. Monica suggests that I be successful artistically, that I win, that I be somebody. That'll show them. Karen sighs. She says, stay home and play the gramophone. Cherish the earth. Worship the Buddha in all its forms. Check out the goddess Hestia. Yes, the woman... Yes, the woman of the hearth. Uh, well, I'm half Irish, the worst half. Booze tends to make me rave. This is not a goddamn play, I yell. I'm not a goddamn actor. This is my life. Here, now, this is it. Could be I deserve to be a slave. These men put me on. They did that for years, and I bought it, hook, line, and sinker. I used to fight for male approval, that pearl beyond price. But man is not an oyster. Man is very irritating, but man is not an oyster. No one's listening to me. I pour another beer. Once upon a time, I joined... The Women's International Terrorist Conspiracy from Hell, which they call that, yes. Then I called up my primary attachment, old number one, and I told him I was through, through with love. He laughed. He told me to come over and help him clean up his swanky apartment. Mm -hmm. Every morning... A man who dresses like a mortician hoses off the cement in front of his building, yes. <laughs> he lives in a gated community. I, on the other hand, go out every morning with a broom and sweep the broken glass off my front steps. Uh-huh. No place that's safe will rent to a woman with children, you know, a single woman with a couple of kids. Old number one tells me again, how much he needs me to help him fix things up, you know, play my role of angel in the house. I yell, I don't do windows, sucker. And then I make some jokes here, but um, uh, they involve the use of the N-word, which I realize, what's it, 40 years later, I'm no longer allowed to use. <laughs> yes, he laughed and approved of my sense of humor, yes. Let me put it this way, uh, it's one of those, I'm not going to be your slave anymore, I'll go be someone else's slave. <laughs> That's my idea of freedom. <laughs> anyway, the bar is closing at this point. The blind lemon down on San Pablo, I move my glass in little circles. I look at the ceiling with its gold lanterns. It's like a cafe in a Van Gogh painting. No one talks to me now. There was a woman who used to play guitar here years ago in the 50s. Oh, that would be Barbara Dane. I remember Barbara Dane. 
Yes, she began to sing Foggy, Foggy Doo. My memory goes back to an old scene, a place called The District in Oakland. Early love across the table while we drank mulled wine. Long ago did I ever really love without bitterness? Sure I did, of course I did. There were no resentments until I had children to worry about. Even marriage wasn't that bad, of course. His apartment was a mess when I arrived. He told me he'd saved the mess for me, so I'd have lots to do. Yes, busy little bride I was. I scoured and polished my way to feminine perfection. I put rubber gloves over my manicure. I did the walls and ceilings with Lysol and ammonia. I douched and dolled up and cooked and decorated and buffed everything to a high gloss. Turned out in a few weeks, there was nothing left of marriage, nothing left but a vacuum, literally. My husband uh, began to be a somewhat indifferent lover once I was available all the time. Sin had worked so well for us for years. But then, after a few months of legal liaison, he had to be reminded. Then it got to be too much trouble to get ready. Oh, those were the days, the diaphragm days. So, I found a lover who made appointments. I mean, once I was all dressed up, I wanted some place to go. Something definite, you know, to aim for. <laughs> I guess I've gone. Some place to go is gone. It's a kind of a funny thing. A psychiatrist I once went to told me that he believed that women, females, were always the grudge-carrying partners in relationships. Well, that could be, yes, that could be. Maybe we could make a new bumper sticker for the women. Don't carry a grudge. Carry a gun like the rest of the boys. <laughs> that is a piece of a book that's dated, oh, let's see, 1966 through 1977. It's called Telegraph Avenue Then. I've done a reprint with Regent Press. It's available from Regent Press or from me if you write to me at the station. And it should be on Amazon.com. Uh, it covers, let's see, a divorce in Lafayette and then... The Return to Berkeley and the Beginning of This Journal. George Sand is quoted here. Writing a journal means that facing your ocean, you are afraid to swim across it. So you attempt to drink it drop by drop. I was listening to a program this morning about writers. I think it was on NPR. And the advice given was to get, get away from that journal and get into your novel. Anais Nin said that she had the same problem. Her psychiatrist told her that uh, the novel was the real thing and that her journal, where she was authentic, that was just scribbling, you know. <laughs> I 
think that, you know, Bettina Apthecker has understood that it's more important to be authentic. Whether you're authentic in your novel or your journal doesn't matter. Uh, it's just that you've got to get, you've got to get to the truth sooner or later, one place or another. Now, this book skims through all of the post-divorce nonsense that most women, uh, I won't say suffer from. It's the stages we go through, yes. How to waste precious time with the wrong people. <laughs> and then some really bad trips. And then some revelations. My revelation came with images of uh, Lilith. Lilith chose to leave Adam and live alone by the Red Sea. She found peace there on the hard rock sand lining the deep blue gulf of Aqaba where she made love with satyrs, minotaurs, and centaurs. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. In darkness From the ones Who Walk in light Light them up Boys There's your picture Drop the shadows Out of Be sure to catch Apex Express on KPFA. Apex Express is a weekly program following news and cultural events throughout Asia and the Pacific Islands. Find out about issues affecting Asian American and Pacific Islander communities locally and globally. Get on board the Apex Express Thursday evenings 